Hello and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our show. I'm Tina with my friends Jane Wendy again. Hi, guys. Hello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. How are you guys doing? We are good. How are you doing? Oh, blessed. God is good all the time. Yeah, it's the, the weekend. And the rest. Amen. <laughs> the oh, we are definitely yeah. we are definitely looking forward to this weekend to get some time outdoors and get some recuperation. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> I just want this. <laughs> yes. And this. Every mother's dream, right? <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Anybody else excited it's the weekend? Like yeah, let us know in the comment. Exactly. Yeah, let us know what uh, you guys are doing this weekend, if you have any prayer requests, if you have any Bible questions you want answered now here live on the show today, we'd be more than happy to answer those for you. Or just say hi and see and tell us how you're doing. We'd love to hear from you all out there. Um, so let's go ahead and open up with a quick word of prayer. Jay or Wendy, you want to pray for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for getting us through yet again this another week. And we... Just praise your name for the many, many blessings you give us, including the blessing to really speak about the Bible right now and your truth. And we pray that you will bless all of us who are here present together during this stream. And may we just all just enter into your truth and may only your your truth be spoken and heard. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Your prayer reminded me of that verse that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So we just pray that all of our viewers out there who's gathering with us, um, that you're all one with Jesus together today as we study his word. Amen. Amen. So with that, Wendy, is there a question or some questions that have come in this week? Yes. Let's go ahead and get our first question up. All right. So Tracy is asking, did the thief, oh, (laughs) let's start with Gloria. So Gloria is asking, the Bible talks about generational curses. How can you tell if you are suffering from a generational curse and how can you stop it? I love this question. I love this question too. Yeah. And it's, I think for us, it's really meaningful because working on a documentary and filming over 100 interviews or actually 150 interviews on mental health, we really saw this generational sin pattern mm-hmm. and it, it really is a thing. And, uh, you know, the, it really, I think is, is a compass in this verse of Exodus 20, five to six, where, um, it's one of the 10 commandments, the second commandment. And God is talking about how he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him, but shows mercy to thousands, to those who love him and keep his commandments. So, um, it, it's really interesting. So when people are in this very sinful negative pattern, I see that verse as God saying, you know, I might let this perpetuate for three or four generations, and then he's going to make an intervention and try to help break this cycle or else maybe forever indefinitely, we will be, uh, having a progress, having a problem, struggling with these generational mm-hmm. sins. Um, and then I love that part about God just blessing for thousands of generations. I really feel like I'm in one of those families. But what's important to keep in mind is none of us are exactly stuck with what our parents did before. We don't have to feel mm-hmm. like we have to carry their baggage. And if you read Ezekiel 18, 
um, pretty much the whole chapter. We could start mm -hmm. at uh, verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to me again saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So this is a parable and they used to say this back then, you know, the, the fathers ate the sour grapes, but the children are suffering the consequences of it. And God says in verse three, as I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father, as well as, as, well as the soul of the son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing. Sorry, it keeps going on, on and on. I mean, you get in the point. Basically, if this person has done these things and walked in God's laws and kept his judgment faithfully, God says in verse 9, he is just, he shall surely live, says the Lord. And it goes on and on. God gives these different scenarios where um, maybe a man's unjust, he has a son, but that son does right. He's not held to the count of the, the sins of the father. And if the son sins, he's not held account. God keeps us independent and separate in terms of how he judges us. But I'm sure God is very mindful of the struggles that we are dealing with. He totally understands that. And I think that's a part of that verse when God says, don't judge lest you be judged. We have no idea what other people are dealing with. And you are carrying unique burdens that have been passed on to you. That's a real thing. God gets that. But there is hope. We're not stuck in this. You know, even if you're in the second generation or the third generation of this being handed down, we could get out of it. I find a lot of hope in John 8, starting at verse 31. And uh, Jesus is having a bit of a confrontation here with the Pharisees. And so we're, we are told in verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so, so Jesus here is saying right, right now, his word, his truth, what's in the Bible can set us free from the bondage of our past, from the bondage of our family. We can be made free with what's even in the Bible. And it's interesting, the Jews said, well, we're Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you, Jesus, say you, you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, he says, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And who's the son? Who has the power? Who has authority? Jesus is saying, I have the authority. We're all under sin. How can any of us really release any of each other? But God, Jesus, can set us free. That's what he wants to do. And go back, read that whole chapter. It's really interesting how Jesus keeps going on and on and on about trying to show how he sets people free, how he's of a different family even. And these Jews, they thought they're the descendants of Abraham. They think they're all so proud about their heritage, but really their father, in a sense, they're of that lineage of Satan. Jesus wants us to be a part of a different lineage, 
wants us to be a part of a different family, one that is not of the one we're born into, but we can die and be born again into a new family. We can be born as a new person. We have a new chance that, that all of our struggles of our past can die. That old person of us can die. Our family history, our past selves, our parents' selves that we bring with us can die, and we can start anew as a child of God. And hence the verse, you know, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we shall be called the sons and fathers, sorry, the sons and daughters of God. Amen. And can, if I can just jump in, Jay, um, I, I really like what you said there. And it just reminded me of a verse that um, I've held to, and I know I've had friends who've overcome things like addictions and, um, you know, things that were passed down to them, you know, like alcoholism and drug abuse and things like that. And a verse mm -hmm. that they found so much hope in is Second Corinthians 5, 17, which says, um, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things mm -hmm. have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So it's not just some stuff, you know, when you come, come to Jesus, like, oh, God cleans us some things, but, you know, there's nothing that can't be made new because God can make all things new according to his word and God Amen. can't lie. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that's so important for us to realize as we, you know, think about having a generational curse um, on our family. And uh, I remember, I just want to say one last thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, these are great points. Yeah. Oh, praise God. Um, I remember reading a book um, back when I was a teenager and this woman from church was like, you know, you really need to read this um, as you're coming, you know, into a time where, um, you know, you, you start dating and that sort of thing. And the book was called Kiss the Girls and Made Them Cry. And it was about a woman who overcame generational curses um, with sexual sin. And she basically um, spoke about how she, you know, she claimed God's word in overcoming it. And because of that, she didn't give in to those sins that were in her family's past. And she said, you know, it was like three or four generations of this going on in her family. And she was like, I want to give my life to Christ. I don't want this to be a problem in my heart and in my life. And it was something she was seeing, you know, a potential struggle with, but God gave her victory. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't matter whatever sin it is, you know, that you have that, you know, could be, you feel is passed down to you. Every type of sin, you know, Jesus understands and he's able to give you the victory. And the Bible says us, you know, exactly. it is Jesus that gives us the victory through through the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I'm just mm -hmm. so grateful for that because I know in my family, there's definitely been things that I'm like, Lord, I don't want this to be a problem for me. And I, you know, I, I surrender those things to God and by his mercy and grace, you know, I don't struggle with any of those things at this time. And, um, you know, every day I just give, you know, I die daily. I give everything to the Lord. And, you know, every day I know I'm, new and clean and thank god he gives me victory every day and every step of the way so yeah i was god. just having that hymn come to mind that you know faith is the victory <laughs> you know, or is our victory you know yeah. and that really sends it up and it is just trusting god that he can bring us out of it he's the god of creation and he's also the god of recreation yeah. mm. and i think i think also there's a um you know there it's important to as far as understanding if we are struggling from it, like we have to know God's truth because mm -hmm. generational sin is it like sin separates us from God. Mm -hmm. Generational sin 
affects us where it's like what we think is normal Mm -hmm. is not necessarily what's right in God's eyes. And the only way that we learn what is right is to study his word and to Mm -hmm. examine the truth, to get to know that truth. And then, you know, throughout scripture, God gives us the keys to the victories over those different types of sin that may be affecting us. And so we we have to become aware of it and we can only become aware of it by knowing the truth in, you know, that God has has established in the Bible. And a big part of that is knowing what love really is. I would say that is that that's that's the pinnacle of all of it. That's the foundation and the pinnacle of all of it. We have to know what love is and we have to know really well what that looks like. And anything that differs from that we have to wreck it. We have to. We have to be able to say, like, wait a minute, that differs from God's God's uh, perspective, God's design for love. And mm-hmm. so now, if we are operating in a way, or tempted to operate in a way that goes against God's framework of love, we we can begin to recognize that. And then, once we recognize it, then we can see what is it that we the, the, that's that's the the key to address that do we have to you know we probably have to go through the process of of forgiveness we probably have to go through the process of accepting god's forgiveness into our own mm-hmm. heart and life at a very deep level and then through the process of rebuilding the relationship or doing you know with god in what is right in the way that and, is right and not building our understanding of love based on what our parents did but right. start looking at the example of christ exactly in the Bible. exactly and and then from there, we, you know, we can, I also forgot to mention repentance. That's a big part of it. We have to repent of, you know, we have to recognize the issue and repent of that and then accept God's forgiveness in. Um, But yeah, it comes back to understanding it. And and, And then we have to practice that and keep practicing that because you can, we can do it right, but we're gonna, we're gonna make a mistake again. And that's why, Jesus did what he did for us. That's why he he gave his life for us because we would make mistakes, but we have to keep coming back and practicing and practicing what is the right thing? What is the right way to operate? And until it becomes a habit and a part of us. And so that is really the, um, I think the, the key to overcoming the general generational sin. And, and it starts with first acknowledging it, recognizing it, um, Actually, it starts with recognizing what is love, then recognizing what's differing from that love, and then working through the process to overcome that. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Yes. Amen. If I could play devil's advocate just for a second, because <laughs> you know I sure. love to do that. <laughs> As, what but did I, I say that you don't agree with? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I absolutely agree. Um, but I guess when it comes to, you know, somebody who's coming to, you know, maybe the person who's bringing this up, they might come to, you know, bring up the verse like in, um, uh, you know, where it says that God visits the, you know, the iniquity of the people of the children to the third and fourth generation, you know, like mm-hmm. in the, the third commandment where you should not take the Lord's name in vain. It's it or, or not, excuse me, for the second commandment to not bow down mm-hmm. and serve idols. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth 
generation of them that hate me. So now some people might go, well, there's the this and it, there's a lot of verses that say, you know, that, that God visits the iniquity into the third and fourth generation. But I think the Bible also gives you the context in which those sins keep going down, which is the last phrase, which I think perfectly contrasts kind of what you're saying, which is of them that hate me. So if you hate God, then, yeah, those sins are going to follow you because you're not coming to God who is love and getting those mm -hmm. things fixed and worked out. But I think that, um, you know, just kind of uprooting that, you know, the reason why things keep perpetuating is a lack of God, which is a lack of love. And, you know, being a person who hates God and hates his law and hates, you know, anything related to him. So I think, you know, just kind of keeping that in mind, you know, which is just, you know, you do you understand, you need to understand the Bible and understand it in its context, what it, exactly it's saying, because, you know, the Bible does say mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the iniquity is visited to the third and fourth generation, but it's of those who hate God, who are not coming to God, who are not repenting, who are not mm -hmm. seeing God mm -hmm. as a God of love and God, having God heal them. So anyways, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on that. Uh, that's a huge point. I, I, yeah. I think that's really like, that's a really neat piece to, to pick out. And, you know, I think that um, that's a, I think that is a like that is a core part uh, that's 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 a that's another piece of the truth and i think it, it i don't think it's contradictory i think it's it aligns with it yeah. that if we if we don't understand god's love yeah and and how perfect it is it's really easy to hate things that that are part of that love. I mean, look at all the people that hated Jesus and he was the purest epitome of love, but they didn't really know him. And so mm -hmm. it comes to knowing God and knowing his love in our life at an intimate level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then it's it's very hard to hate him at that point because you really, you really feel it. But Which to me is interesting. It just keeps coming back to John 8 where God's talking about how, you know, Abraham knew God, Abraham loved God, you know, Abraham really was in God's family, whereas the Jews themselves weren't really in the same position as Abraham was, and more in position of Satan, more challenging, rebelling, mm -hmm. rejecting God. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. why they were not in the truth. That's why they were in bondage of slavery. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. And I think that's just so sad to think, you know, how many people stay in that rut, you know, for generations and throughout their lives, like they don't choose a better way. And like, I, it just reminds me, you know, John 10, 10, that says, you know, for the thief, you know, basically the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And so there's a better way in Jesus Christ, but you have to just be open to it. You have to accept it and you have to, you know, um, allow God to do that work in you that, you know, maybe it's not, it's always not comfortable, you know, to repent, to confess, to, you know, go through those processes and go through those feelings. But, you know, when you do, that's where real healing comes. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a beautiful thing to know that you're not stuck with the sins of your past or the sins of your parents' past. Um, but you have a new future in Jesus and, you know, he gives you a new life. And I don't think there's any better gift <laughs> than that. Yeah. So. No, it's so profound. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
Amen. All right. We have a couple of people who've joined us. We have Fadi. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us this evening again. And Hi. also uh, Rachel. Uh, nice to hear from you, Rachel. Glad you Hi, could Rachel. join Hi, us. Hi, Rachel. And uh, oh, Olivia is also yep. here. Thank you, Olivia. Great to have you back again. And if you're just tuning in, just joining us, please let us know we're here. We'd love to give you a yeah. shout out. And we, you know, we ask this every week and y'all are really bashful and don't want to tell us, but we would love to know just some way that God has worked in your life this week. I think other viewers would love to know that too. We can never have too much of that to go around. So if you have any inclination at all to share something like that, we would love to hear from you and uh, be able to share that with people. So we also have fewer questions than normal, so we can take any questions live and, and likely be able to answer them on the spot if you have any. Yes. We'd love yeah, to exactly. see what you have. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and get our next question up. So Gloria is asking, uh, in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, God created mankind in his image. He created male and female, blessed and sent them out to be fruit, fruitful and multiply on earth. If every one of God's years is 1,000 of hours, then when God made Adam and Eve, this was at least 1 to 2,000 years after the sixth day of creation when he made mankind in his image. Question. So, Jesus slash Eve were the generations, or Jesus and the other people had already multiplying on the earth, right? Or am I wrong? Help. Okay. Someone <laughs> okay. clarify for me this question first, because I'm not fully following what it's saying. So I think the truck. Oh, sorry. Maybe Go I ahead. could wrap up the question sort of, and then Tina can answer it. So there are some verses that you know say to God, as I said, you know, a thousand years is like a day to God, and mm -hmm. and, the, and the day is like a thousand. And then what they're trying to do then is say how in creation it talks about days. Well, therefore, let's apply uh, the thousand year principle to those days, and God created the earth over thousands of years. Tina, is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's kind of what I understood too. Um, so, Gloria, I think um, I think you you kind of have a little bit of your time frame a little bit mixed up. So, and I, I understand because you know the Bible, not all of the pieces are in perfect chronological order all the time. So it's it's easy to get confused. So I want you to know you're not the only one. <laughs> but um, so the first I think you're thinking of that says you know that a thousand years or a um, a thousand years for us is like a day with God. And that's second Peter chapter three, verse eight. It says, you know, so basically Peter is saying, you know, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So basically what Peter is saying, though, in the context of what he's saying, though, is, you know, the coming of Christ and that, you know, that Jesus is going to come. And so, because a lot of people, he says, in the last days are going to be scoffers. They're going to say, oh, where's the promise of his coming? Jesus isn't coming. Everything just continuing. But Jesus, Peter saying, no, 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 because time for us is very different um, as far as a perspective is time for God, because God is eternal. So for us, like, you know, a thousand years is a long time, but for God, that's like a day. It's it's like not a very long period of time. So that's really what the verse means. That's what the verse is talking about. Um, but when it comes to the six days of creation, um, if you go back to Genesis chapter one um, and you look at verses 26 through 28, where God says he made them male and female, I want you to look at um, verse six, or excuse me, verse 31, where basically it says that, um, and so the evening and the morning were the sixth 
day. So Adam and Eve were made on the sixth day. And this, the reason um, the Bible actually makes it very clear that this is a, a day, like our day, like a 24 hour period. It says in the evening and the morning. So there's no thousand years of the sun rising and setting, you know, it's, or, and coming up. So basically, and it repeated that for every single day of creation. Yes, exactly. God repeated every single day. And so it's, it, the Bible is very, very clear that this is a yeah. 20 hour period. It's a literal six day period that God made everything. So like day one, he made light day two, he made the firmament. day three, he made the land and he separated the water and made vegetation day four. He made um, the sun, moon and stars and day five, he made, you know, the fish and the birds. And day six, he made all the animals. And then last, he made Adam and then made Eve. And so on after that, on this sixth day, he was done. The crowning act of his creation was creating Adam and Eve. And then the seventh day, he rested. Um, and God reiterates that this is a six-day week, a six-day thing with a seven-day week in the the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verses eight through seven or eight through 11, where it says, for in six days, God made heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day. God didn't rest for a thousand years. It was just a literal seven day week that for six days, God created the yeah. seventh day he rested. And that's why that day is blessed because. And then the same, th same time, he's not asking for us to rest a thousand years in that, <laughs> exactly. in that same so you have to apply the same meaning for that same day. So God rested seven days, wants us to rest a day. It's got to mean the same thing. It can't be a thousand years for one and then just one get, 24 hours the other. We, we don't get to rest for a thousand years. Well, maybe the Kate would like to answer that one. <laughs> there well, the, is a thousand years rest. Exactly. Well, and, and a lot of people like say, well, maybe this kind of reflects like the week of redemption in a way that 6,000 years, um, you know, we have basically the mess that we're in here on earth. And once that 6,000 years is done, um, you know, we have that 1,000 years is like you know, the seventh day or whatever, which is a thousand years of the millennium that you read about in Revelation chapter 21. And so anyways, but that's another whole nother topic. But Gloria, I just want you to know, it, it's very easy to be confused, but basically, yeah, no, it's at the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the first six days he made everything. And that was, you know, all the, all the world, the sixth day he made Adam and Eve. Um, and sometime after that, we don't know exactly when, but at some point Adam and Eve sinned. And then it was almost 4,000 years later that Jesus came into the world. Um, and that's why when you look at his genealogy, like in Matthew chapter one, you see from Adam to, to Jesus, there's many, many generations of people. Um, so that's the time frame that we're looking at. And then and then 2000 years ago is when Jesus came. So Adam we've created in six uh, on the sixth day of creation, 4,000 years later, Jesus comes, lives and dies for our salvation and goes back to heaven. And then it's been about 2000 years since Jesus did that. And we're waiting for his soon return. So I hope that clarifies things for you, Gloria. And I hope you <laughs> know that um, it's, it's okay to be confused, but um, we're, I'm just grateful that God created everything in six literal days, not thousands and thousands of years, because um, God can literally speak and things exist. And so that's the mighty and powerful God that we serve. Uh, Jay, Wendy, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, and I just add, I mean, I think there are a lot of people get confused where it the Bible talks about how 
Cain killed Abel and then proceeded to go marry a woman and and you know go start a city and then they think oh aha there should have been then tons of people that already existed when Adam and Eve left Eden but no it forgets that there still could be a huge amount of time hundreds of years between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 where we have the Cain and Abel story mm-hmm. and are we going to assume that you know they didn't Adam and Eve had no kids for 100 years or even you know during that time that they only had Cain and Abel? No, yeah. they probably kept cranking them out. Jesus said, be fruitful and multiply. These were the most healthiest humans that ever lived. They were probably extremely fertile. Maybe they even had twins and triplets at times. Who knows, right? Exactly. Anything was possible. So they could have very quickly populated the earth um, just between the two of them. And then Cain ma- would have a sister, marries his sister, and then Again, they produce a huge family and have a city. So it's these things don't defy imagination. They are very realistic. The Bible can, should, in many ways, be taken literally when it's trying to give us literal history as it is in Genesis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's very important that we um, we don't forget that. And I think Gloria, I think it's so important that you know that thousand years, you know, to God, you know that can be kind of confusing, but I think that's such an important chapter that you're reading in second Peter chapter three, because it talks about, you know, in the last days, there'll be scoffers saying, you know, you know, where's the promise of his coming for since our fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they were. And it says, but these are willingly ignorant of how God created the, the earth and how the, the world was in the waters and on the waters. And there's so many things that God has, you know, as far as scientifically in the Bible that show his creative power, that show that the creation story is credible and something we can believe in, but you have to study it. You have to, to learn about those truths. And I think that's so important that as we look at the Bible, it is a literal history book. We can look to it for history. And I think some people have tried to mix, you know, uh, secular scientific theories with the Bible. And I think that's very dangerous. We really need to, to look at the Bible and the Bible only as a source of truth. Um, and when you do that, I, I think you see things um, in a new light and I think you see things in the right way. Yeah, I think that's very important. If we try to take our modern understanding of the world and try to work backwards and make the Bible fit that, we're going to have a lot of problems. We need to start with, okay, what is the Bible saying and how can we apply that into our modern understanding? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and get our next question up. So Brian is asking, what will you offer when you are forced into the courts to prove your gods or to be censored? I really like this question because I'm an attorney and I love courts and evidence sort of stuff. And and I'm also very, very concerned about uh, very realistic possibility that very soon we will be censored and that um, even the Bible itself might be a book that no longer publishers will carry. We're, we're definitely, I think, getting close to those days. And I've been very mindful uh, to this question, even before Ryan asked, as to, yeah, what would it look like if, if I would get hauled into court? And I think every Christian needs to be thinking in these terms. And even if you're not hauled into a human court, we're told there's going to be a judgment and we're going to be, in a sense, brought before God's court. And God is examining us and and judging what we're doing. 
So what will that look like? What, what do you want it to look like? So, um, but in terms of proving to people that there is, uh, you know, a God or what's that God like, um, I, I will first want to say, uh, well, first he says gods. Um, I believe what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God. But that Hebrew word for one means that there are, um, there could be many, many components that make that one. So the Bible also uses that word one to talk about how a man and a woman become one flesh. Two of them becoming one in marriage. So that's how the God is. There's these three entities, usually believed to be the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They make together what is God. But often God also, in the New Testament especially, is referring to the Father. Um, though, though Christ is also represented and referred to as God. So it's a little bit different. You know, some people trip up on this. It, but uh, just want to clarify that. So, how can I prove in court that God is God, that God exists? Uh, we've talked about this before, even last week. Isaiah 46, 9-10, the Bible outright gives a test so that we can know God is God. God gives a challenge. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none, none other like me. So first, he says, remember the, thing, the former things. God can tell us things from the beginning because he set things up from the beginning. So we want to know how was the earth created, what was it like? The Bible can tell us, only God could tell us, because Adam and Eve weren't, weren't around even when the earth was formed. And those of us who are creationists do believe that there's plenty of evidence in science backing up the Bible's claim. We then go to um, verse 10 here. So God says, you know, there's none like me. He also says, I'm declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that were not yet done say, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. So God's saying here also, who can tell you right now or even, you know, many years before what's going to happen way in the distant future? Only he can do that. Only God knows the future. And we have an incredible prophecy that, that mathematically, you know, can, we can demonstrate was, was prophesized before it came true. And this is found in Daniel 9, starting at verse 24. And it talks about how 70 weeks are given for Daniel's people, that would be the Jews, and for their holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up this vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most High. Anoint all this is referring to the Messiah. Um, in Greek, that is Christ. Uh, so Jesus Christ is talking about. Know therefore, understand, um, Gabriel's telling Daniel, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, Jesus, comes, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So you're going to have these uh, seven weeks and then 62 weeks. If you add them up, that's 69 weeks of the whole 70 weeks. And, um, and this will start with, the, so the street shall be built again, and the wall, and, and there'll be trouble sometimes. Okay. 
So when does this period start? When is that command to go forth and rebuild Jerusalem? Ezra 7.11 talks about how there's this letter that was um, that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the high priest. And it gives the year, I think it was like the second year of King Art Artaxerxes, something like that. And you could look up in the history books when that was. And it was, some people say it was 457, others say it was 458 AD. Um, I'm in a camp that believes that was fall, the fall of 457 AD. I would say the Day of Atonement in particular of that year. And then in verse 26, it reads, and after the 62 weeks. So we know there were 70 weeks, and then after the 70 weeks is the 62 weeks. So at the end of that 69-week overall period, there is going to be another seven-week period. And during that time, the Messiah is going to be cut off. That's a word used to, or he's going to die, but not for himself. Oh yeah, Jesus didn't die for his own sins. He died for the world. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Um, but it says, then he shall confirm, the Messiah shall confirm a covenant for one week. We are that 69 weeks. There was one week left for that all the total seven, uh, sorry, 70 weeks. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end of the sacrifice and offering. And I know I'm giving lots of days, times, whatever. So <laughs> 69 weeks. The Bible explains that there's a day for year principle for prophecies like this. And you could try it out. So if you plug in a day for a year, uh, 70 weeks, um, each week is has 70 days. Um, there's 42 weeks in a year. Um, if you crunch all the math, but basically end result, and you can look this up, but there's other people who give the, a more detailed explanation of how to do this. And you probably have it on Bible Ask, right, Tina? The, the exact math? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we do. This one's posted. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So you could go through it, they'll take you step by step, but you end up with the Messiah's appearing to be AD 27. That's when Jesus was baptized. That's when he became the Messiah. That's when he started his ministry. And we know from the Bible, three and a half years later, Jesus is crucified. He died for everybody. And that's when he puts an end to the sanctuary service. There's no more need. For, for sacrifices of animals going forward, because those things were pointing forward to Jesus's death. And then he fulfills what they represented right in the middle of the week. And then three and a half years later, we have the stoning of Stephen. And, and now the gospel is not just being given to the Jews, but is going out onto all the, all the Gentiles too. Paul is commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter is called to go speak to the Gentiles. And, and that 70-week period comes to an end. But it's right on time. We know as a historical fact, Jesus was, was here around that 27 AD. So why is this for those, you know... You, <laughs> so how does it prove? How does this prove? Or how, how does this... Why is this important to when we... So, if we are brought before court? So we can also prove as a historical fact that this book of Daniel traces to at least 200 years before Jesus because it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know that those book, those scrolls weren't written after the time of Jesus. So these are written at least 200 years, were already part of the Hebrew canon 200 years before Jesus came. So this was predicted way before and Jesus comes right on schedule. 
uh, one of the Gospels says, you know, in, in, I think in the fulfillment of time, you know, this, these are the times that are being predicted, and Jesus came right on time. The odds of this are, are astronomical. It's absolutely divine. And again, we're just talking about one prophecy in the Bible. We can go prophecy to prophecy to prophecy, including the prediction of how in Daniel 2, Babylon would fall and would be overtaken by the Medo-Persians, that they would fall and be overtaken by Greece, that Greece would immediately fall apart into four separate kingdoms, which it did. And then that one of those kingdoms be, sort of became Rome and conquered the rest of uh, this area. And that Rome was never conquered by another civilization. It just sort of, the Roman Empire just slowly fell apart and became basically what we know as these separate European countries. And they've never been able to form a coherent union. Like, look at the, the, uh, the European Union. It's very loose. It's always tenuous and, and not everybody's in it and and we know that the European Union is probably going to collapse again because it's more or less predicted. The Bible says they're going to try but they're not going to be able to cleave together. It's astounding. And it was predicted. Yeah. What else you got? I, I know you got some um, more notes there that I think are also important. <laughs> and and uh, on top of that, the Bible says Psalms 34, 8, additional evidence. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see. God again is now sort of saying, like, mm -hmm. put me to the test, try me out, trust me, see what happens in your life. That's mm -hmm. pretty bold. And many anybody who's actually taken God up on that offer, placed their, their life and trust in their hand, I think would come and say, yeah, God is delivered. Mm -hmm. And maybe there'd be some people who say, oh, it fell through, God's people were awful. That was God's people. That wasn't God. Give mm -hmm. God the chance. Rely on God. Don't depend on God's people. Rely on God and see mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. And First uh, Peter 3, 15 and 16, it says, But sanctify the Lord your God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they, others, might speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you and uh, your, your good conversation with Christ. Like, we're called as Christians to be ready to always give an answer why we have hope. And that should be because we've tasted and see that God is good, that he's been amazing in our life. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, Jesus says, how can we prove, you know, we're his disciples, that we're the real deal, um, even to reveal that he is real. I would say it's John 13, 35. By all this will by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I can only hope that if I was put on trial and hauled into court, I hope the thing that would really stand out the most would be my love. And I'm definitely working to get better at that so that if it does happen, it will be quite apparent. But all of us should be thinking about that. Will we look loving when we're held into court? Can that be really noticeable? Can people say, wow, this is something I, that seems beyond human? Is this something that cannot be within man itself and truly think there must be a divine God behind this person, a God that is of love and transforming people to be better, more amazing, more wonderful than they ever could on their own? Mm -hmm. 
no evidence I think could be better than that. Amen. 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 Tina, how about you? <laughs> I, I, amen. <laughs> no, I, I think honestly, and I think, I mean, that's so valid. You know, I hundred percent support prophecy. You know, I love prophecy, especially Daniel. And I think God is so spot on, you know, in um, how he's fulfilled everything on time. Um, and that's just, you know, one of many prophecies that God has fulfilled, but also the qualitative, I mean, that's quantitative, but also there's the qualitative aspect mm. of God. Like I think of the verse in John 17, three, which says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And I'm like, yeah, because God, once I got to know you and I love you, God, I don't want to be apart from you. I can't imagine my life without God. I, I just, mm -hmm. he's such a part of everything that I do and everything that I am. Like, I just don't understand how people live any other way. And um, I know that's kind of weird to think about, but it's like, if, if you've not experienced it, but I mean, truly experience it is what I would say, because, you know, God promises in Jeremiah 29, 12, he says, seek me. Um, if you seek me and you'll find me, if you search for me with all of your heart, if you really come to God and say, God, I give you all my heart. I surrender everything to you. God will not fail you. I think so many people have been like, well, I gave God a chance. And I'm like, but did you give everything? Did you surrender to God everything? Or is there something you're holding back? Is yeah. there something you're holding on to? Mm -hmm. And that's what I would really, you know, you know, say to you is just that, you know, come, if you come to God, you have to come to God with everything and be open about everything. Um, you know, just kind of like the, the woman at the well, she tried to hide her past, but Jesus knew it. And once he, you know, showed that to her, then she was able to open up to Jesus. And I think we kind of have to do the same thing where we are completely open and come to Jesus completely as we are. Um, just, you know, and bear it all <laughs> because God already knows, but I think it's, it's when you're, you're willing to open up your heart to him fully and completely, then he will, um, you know, he'll make himself real to you um, in the same way, just like, you know, it says, draw near to God, draw, God will not draw near to you. God doesn't force himself on you. And I think that mm -hmm. that's something that people don't understand is God is not a God of force. He's not abusive in that way. You know, he, he doesn't push himself on you. He will only, you know, enter into your life as a welcome guest. So, um, you know, just, just keeping that in mind, as far as, you know, you know, why is God real? Because he's been real in my life. There's nothing, there's no promise that he hasn't fulfilled. And I could tell you so many times where I've said, God, I need you. You know, you promised me, you know, in um, Psalm 34, you said that the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. I claimed this so many times during my mm -hmm. college years. And every time I had a need, because I had nothing in college, I had nothing. I was barely getting by like pennies <laughs> and like, um, God just fulfilled every single time, every, every need that I had one semester, I had nothing. I was like, God, I have no way I'm going to survive this next semester. I, I can't pay my tuition. I'm going to get kicked out. I'm not going to graduate. And like the next day, so I get emotional, but it's just cause God's so real. Um, the next day they said, Oh, you got a scholarship. I'm like, I didn't apply for a scholarship and money appeared from nothing so that I could pay my tuition. Wow. There was just, there's so many times or there was a bill I had to pay. And I was like, God, I don't have this $25 to pay this bill. Is it due tomorrow? What am I going to do? And I claimed his word. And the next day there was a check in the mail for $25. And I was like, God, 
how did this happen? And it was from my car insurance. They said, you overpaid. Here's, we, we owe you this. And I'm like, how did you know, God, on the day that I would need this, that you would come in and show up right when I needed you? And God has never failed me, but I took God at his word and I, I trusted him. And so I would say that to me, like that is the greatest, you know, evidence for God is that he showed up when we put our full and complete trust in him. And so, you know, for me, like I said, <laughs> without God, there's, there's no other way. I, I can't live without him. And, you know, and I really, you know, encourage you out there. If you're, you know, questioning, is God real? Give him a real chance you know, and really take him at his word fully by faith. God says, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You, you have to take his word as though it's true. You know, the, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So really seek for God diligently, um, not half half-heartedly, but with everything you've yeah. got and you'll see God show up. He, you can't miss him. <laughs> so. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. Mm -hmm. And everything and, else. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. that. Is so powerful. Testimony. Well, there's a lot more I could share, but. <laughs> I don't think I've even heard that testimony from you Yeah, before. I don't think oh, I have either. Oh, man. I got a lot more. Let me tell you, God has showed up. And I've seen miracles happen. Like, miracles. Miracle, miracles. Like, yeah. So if I if I get hauled into court to prove there's a God, I'm going to have to like subpoena you, and I'm going to call my first witness, <laughs> Tina. <laughs> like God was real; He showed up. I promise you, there's no way this could have happened. So, anyways, Amen. God Amen. is good. I think we do we have time right. for one more question. Yes, yes. Let's get our next question up here. So Arnold is asking: When God said, "Let there be light," what was that light? I love it. That's a great question, Arnold. Yeah, I love that question too. Jay, do you, do you mind if I say a few verses first? Yeah. Or is that okay? No, oh, please, uh, please. All right. So, um, you know, obviously you're quoting, I believe, Genesis chapter one, where in the beginning it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light in, you know, verse three. And then, you know, it goes on to say in verses four and five, and God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. So on the first day of creation, God's first act of creation was to bring in light. Now, I believe that this is talking about physical light, like the physical, you know, <laughs> physics or whatever um, that we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, natural science. I believe that God literally made light and we're not 100% still sure what light is. Light is kind of a wave and it's kind of it has matter to it. it. It's very interesting. So um, anyways, I believe that this first, you know, the, the physical light came in the world on day one, but I think John chapter one also gives us the spiritual aspect of what this light truly is. Um, and if you read John, John chapter one, verses one through five and verse nine, it reads, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we know this is Jesus. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. So then um, it says, and the light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. And Jesus being that light that in verse nine, it says that was the true light, 
which lights every man that comes into the world. So basically Jesus that and his life is light um, and his life is truth. Everything revolves around Jesus in essence in creation um, because nothing was made that wasn't made by Jesus Christ. And so God or Jesus is God and he's not only our creator, but he's our redeemer. And I believe that, you know, physical light has come into the world um, to teach us about a spiritual concept, which is truth of, of Jesus Christ, that he is the life that um, he, he gives to us. And everything we have in this world consists and has its being in Jesus Christ. So if you're saying, you know, what is that light? You know, as far as Genesis chapter one, I think it's physical light, but I believe there's a spiritual aspect to it that we kind of see deeper here in John chapter one, which is the light of Jesus Christ, which is his truth. And we know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Um, and we have access to the father through him. And um, and so that's kind of what I would say is, is the light is the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the life giver and everything in this world um, was made and consists by by his power. Um, Jay or Wendy, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that those first couple of verses of Genesis to me are so profound, and I just was blown away when I was studying the Hebrew and coming up coming up with my own translation, even the past couple months. Mm. And it's really interesting that the world starts off basically in darkness and confusion that's mm -hmm. sort of the imagery we're given there and i said you know it's literal i believe it's literal but mm -hmm. even with this literal um history we're given there as you're suggesting Tina, that there's a lesson behind it mm -hmm. and yeah it's darkness confusion disorder chaos that's what god is starting off with and then he is now adding light to the darkness and then the water, that's this confusion, this discombobulation. God's separating the waters. He's pulling land out of these waters. He's um, bringing order. And then, you know, he's structuring time. You know, he's making days. He's making weeks. So it's just order. Order out of chaos is what God is doing out of creation. And this is such a symbol, I think, for also sort of that story of redemption, right? That we're mm -hmm. going through. Yeah. where. This world now is in disorder, it's in chaos. In fact, Revelation talks about how um, in prophecy, waters is representing the world, worldly people who are in chaos disorder that came about after Babylon, in a sense. Mm -hmm. This is terminology that now is always used, pretty much the same words representing the disorder in, in time of creation is representing people today. And God is now separating his people out of them. Like he separated the land from the water. And mm -hmm. just as the world is in darkness, now God has given us light. And uh, a couple of verses like this. Um, uh, the, uh, John 1, 5. Uh, or First John 1, 5. This then is a message which we have heard of him and to declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. First John 1 mm -hmm. 7, but if we walk in the light, he is the light. We have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we could just go on and on. Light, 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 light. John especially liked using that as an example. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I, you know, even if there wasn't a separate light source, as in the sun, moon, and stars, I think what the Bible's telling us is that light source was God himself. Absolutely. Just as he's the light source in our life. God is a source of love. He's a source of life. He's also the source of light. And anything that um, is the opposite of confusion. He's the source of order. And I think, to me, that's the lesson to be pulled out of Genesis 1. Besides the fact that God is the creator. Amen. And I think, too, just, you know, when we're talking, like, our last question saying, you know, proving that there is a God, I mean, it's just intelligent design, like kind of what you're saying, like, like there's so much intelligence of God bringing order into this world. Like if you came into a room and everything was perfectly organized in bins and, you know, had labels, like you would know somebody had been there to organize it. If it was just like this gigantic mess, like it's, that's one thing. But when you see order, you know that there had to be a being that came and brought that, you know, brought about that order. And we see that so clearly in the world, um, you know, as far as, you know, God creating the sun and the stars and the moon and, you know, for, and bringing in, you know, orders of time and orders of all these things, you know, it just points to an intelligent creator who knows how to, you know, create things perfectly and, and put things in the, in the right way. And, you know, when we see that we have a creator who's so intelligent and so, you know, magnificent, you know, it, it helps us to be able to put our trust in him, I think, and to know that, you know, his way, because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, that his way is the right way. And, you know, that we Amen. can, we can trust that light that he's giving to us. And I think that it's just awesome that how Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. And it's not that we have light within ourselves, but rather we're just reflectors of that light, just kind of like how the moon reflects the sun. Um, and Jesus is the son of righteousness. And so um, we're, we're just called to reflect that light to a dark world around us. And I just pray by God's grace, uh, we can, <laughs> we can do that. Um, Amen. Only with him, because we have no light in ourselves that I'm grateful to just be a little twinkle. <laughs> if God <laughs> exactly. If God will just let me be that. Amen. I love that song. This little light of mine. I'm going to yeah. let it shine. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We have a question that came in. Yes. I think oh. I can answer it really quickly. Okay. So Christina, is, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Christina, and for chiming in here. Uh, Christina is asking, pride is a sin. How could it have been part of Lucifer's nature getting him to fall from heaven? Cool. And I'll just, you could be right. The way I see pride, though, is pride in of itself is not the sin, but more like a symptom of sin, or if it is really entertained, indulged, then maybe that becomes the sin, uh, which I do believe Satan did. And we can take a look at Ezekiel 28, 14, starting there. And oh, let me switch to NKJV. And it I says... You uh, I, I, or I was trying to point to you because I was trying to say, you. I think you should answer this. <laughs> <laughs> so Ezekiel 28, 14 says, You were the anointed cherub who, co who covers, or the covering cherub, I, God, established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. So, he, here God described Satan, and he was as close to God as anybody could get. And he was a covering cherub. That's like, 
we understand that to be the highest position an angel could have. Again, in terms of proximity, even closest to God. And then the next verse, verse 15, it says, You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So God made him perfect. And then one day, now there was iniquity in him. And I think in this context, you know, God is telling us he was in such a high and lofty position. He had so much going for him that, yeah, I think it's suggesting there that pride eventually got in the way of Satan. If we switch over now to Isaiah chapter 14, uh, starting at verse, well, yeah, Isaiah, let's say 14, starting at verse 12, it says, how, well, let me also switch over to NKJV. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to these verses in the, the King James. So it says, I, yeah, how fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you are weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I mean, all of this, I, 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 and I, all this, more, more or less suggesting I'm going to be bigger, better, more powerful than God. I, I can't describe this any other way than um, the most ridiculous pride there ever is and ever will be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, I guess our only consolation is Isaiah 14, 15, next verse. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. God someday will bring an end to Satan, will, uh, will, will kill him, destroy him, and there'll be no more rebellion. But yeah, pride is truly, I say, at the heart of the fall of Satan and what continues to perpetuate his rebellion against God just because he wanted to, wanted to be God. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything else to add to that one, Tina? I, I mean, I totally agree. I think that's, you know, definitely spot on. And I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, you're, you're flat out saying, you know, my sister, <laughs> that, you know, pride is a sin, and it is. And it's kind of weird to think like, you know, Lucifer lived in the presence of a holy God, and he was perfect. He, he didn't have any sin. So how did sin come out of, you know, perfection or a lack of sin? And, you know, I think the thing that we have to remember is it's, you know, it started in the mind and in the heart. And, you know, he allowed himself to start thinking things that maybe, you know, he started to focus on self instead of focusing on God. And I think that that's such an important thing that we have to keep in mind as, you know, as God's people, that the closer we get to God, that we don't start thinking like, oh, well, look how great I am or holy I am or is there anything you know how you know special or whatever about myself but rather we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and his goodness and mm -hmm. his mercy and love and I think that's the the best cure um, for any pride that we have because then we remember oh yeah I I am completely dependent on God for my life for for every breath I take for everything I have and so you know just um, that would be my only two cents you know thinking about that as far as you know, basically being careful not to fall down that same path. Cause I think, you know, it's very easy to, to do that in some way, maybe not exactly the way the devil did, but you know, the devil tempts us in different ways to think that we're something Amen. when we're, we're, we're really nothing, you know, there's no good thing in us. Oh, anything good in us is from God. So, yeah. Amen. 
we had one more question come in here and I thought maybe we could answer it quickly. It's uh, from Fez and he says, my wife and I are having a dispute. How do I resolve it? Yeah, a great question. Unfortunately, I don't know the details of, of the dispute to, or, you know, and the issues involved, but I can offer a general framework that mm -hmm. maybe might be helpful. And because you're the husband, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says you should, you can do from the husband's perspective. Colossians 3, 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. So, love your wife, don't be bitter. You're, you're the one who has control or has some ability to maybe to control some of the emotions, the feelings going on in the relationship. Of course, there's two people. You can't necessarily control, control her. But let's now flip to Ephesians 5.25. Similar verse, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. So, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, this is, this is tough. I'm not saying this is easy. Now just go love your wife. Magically, that's going to happen. But what I'm saying is that this is the mindset to try to start getting yourself into. I mean, maybe you already have that. Maybe you're already struggling with that, right? And I'm just encouraging you to maybe do what you're already doing, which is now just keep grappling with loving your wife because you are the man and you're in the role of reflecting Christ in the marriage. That's a tall order. The burden's on you. You have the harder job. He'll be the one to first supply the love in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And how is our relationship with God? Why do we love Him? It's, we're told we love Him because He first loved us. Mm -hmm. And I find it so interesting that almost every relationship starts with the man first loving the woman. And usually the woman says, I don't like this guy. I want him to leave me alone. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the guy keeps loving her, keeps pursuing her, and eventually his love supplies the love for her to reciprocate back. So, uh, you know, is this just a one-off dispute or is this more reflecting an ongoing issue? Maybe if you can learn to supply that love as God has supplied the love for us, love is God loves, you know, love your wife, maybe that could disarm the conflict. Or maybe start realizing it's now not about you winning, but you doing the loving. You know, are you going to make compromises that you now wouldn't because now you realize, or you, you wouldn't before, because now you're putting your interests beneath hers. You will do what's best for her. You want her to feel loved, her to feel empowered, her to feel appreciated. So that's that's my thought of the matter. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that helps. It's That's not easy, right? I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but that's what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. This man and lives what he preaches to, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and you know, um, our friend Fez, I would say to that too, um, just as a wife, I, I understand conflicts happen in marriage. You know, they do. It, it's just part of, you know, it's part of the refining process. But I think something that could just be helpful is one, if you guys just, you know, kind of just stop, say, okay, let's, let's stop. Let's take a breath. Let's pray. And I think, you know, 
asking God to come into the situation to give you both mm. peace and wisdom. I think that's a big thing. Um, and then from there, you know, definitely showing, you know, speaking to your wife in a loving tone. Um, like it says in Proverbs that a soft answer turns away wrath. And so if we're speaking, if you start speaking in a calm, loving manner, I think that's going to de-escalate things as opposed to, you know, when things get louder, things get more heated. So, um, you know, try talking in a, in a more loving, calm manner. And, you know, that will in turn, you know, evoke, evoke in your wife respect for you. Because I know that that's a big thing. Like it says mm -hmm. in Ephesians 5.33 that, you know, it says, husbands love your wife, but it says, wives, see that you reverence your husband. So, you know, um, your actions need to, you know, evoke reverence or respect for you as a husband. So, um, you know, on your end, you know, do things that are respectable, that show yourself as a, an honorable and respectable husband um, by treating her in a loving way. Um, and, you know, and tell her, the, you know, what you, the way that you want to be communicated to as mm -hmm. far as, you know, being treated respectfully. And, you know, um, and I think if you have that conversation, I don't think either of you are bad people. I think you both, you know, want things to work. And so um, I think as you you know, prayerfully ask God to intervene and you um, look to him for, you know, for peace and wisdom. I think God will give you that so that you guys can resolve things and, and grow together in the love and mercy of God. Yeah. And I want to add to that too. Um, an important thing is to understand that communication is like, we often think that communication is just what we say or mm -hmm. the tone of voice and how we say it. But communication is so much more than that. It, 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 it's, it's what we, it's the words we use. It's the timing of when we have the conversation. It's the tone of voice that's used. It's our intention behind what we're saying. It's, um, it's our body language and our facial expressions. It's, it is our desire for the other person when or lack thereof when we are communicating and it's there's so many components to it and you know jesus showed up with people with all of these pieces congruent and fully loving people in every in, you know the person he talked to in every single way and that's a very tall order that's a, that's a very very hard thing but a lot of times when, when conflict arises it's because one of those aspects of communication is is not right like it's not in that loving intention and and wholeness and and culture you know culture is a big one too and a lot of times people have conflict because of cultural differences and something means something different because of the backgrounds they came from um and the meanings that they have associated with it and so all of these elements are a component of that love and of that communication and sometimes we have to look at ourselves and say you know did I really, um, did I really communicate what I meant to communicate in that whole loving way, or did I actually fall short? And that was the piece that that kind of like set off the other person that I didn't quite show up for them in the right way in in that dynamic. And when when we look at that and when we explore that, and we start to own those pieces of the issue that we communicated. Um, that 
you know, we didn't maybe we maybe didn't mean to communicate, but they felt it in a way that was uncomfortable. When we look at all of that and own all of that and um, then work towards the common goal of finding connection, reestablishing connection, it can resolve a lot, a lot of issues. Yeah. So phase none of this is to blame you, but I hope you realize it's because you can't control your wife. You can't control other people. Mm-hmm. You can only do do things within your own self. And so I hope these give you tools that you can then be mm-hmm. able to have positive influence with your communications with your wife. And it is, it takes two people. It takes, it takes two people to have a dispute and it takes two people to reconcile a dispute. And so, um, it's, it, we, both parties have to be involved in taking responsibility for their pieces of it. And both parties have to be looking at the best intentions and the goals of the other party and, and thinking about what, you know, how can we, how can we make the, how can we find connection and, and restoration. And, in, and that's what's interesting to me about the analogy of the relationship, you know, with Christ and the church. And because Christ did nothing wrong, God's done nothing wrong, and yet he has conflict with his people because of what they're doing, because right. of their lack of respect, lack of appreciation, lack of love. Mm-hmm. So there you do have, you know, a one sided problem. Uh, even but again what what's christ's example continues to love continue mm-hmm. to have mercy grace passion kindness patience all these things so to me so even if you are the perfect one <laughs> which none of us are perfect no, right no one's perfect <laughs> <laughs> but even if you were hypothetically you still can apply the principles of love to yeah. try to restore the relationships the best you can because that's god's example yeah. And it can be so easy to try to, fi- to fix it on the other person's problems when we're uncomfortable with our own and to um, act like we're perfect. And, you know, nothing will set off another person more than pointing out their problems while acting like we are the perfect one and we don't have any. So very important not to not to let our ego and pride get yeah. in the way. And look what Christ did. He even let it way. get to the point where he got abused, injured, killed just to prove that he loved us yeah he not, let us do that not saying not saying that you should you should no. repeatedly subject yourself to abusive no. situations that's, no. silly. that's not appropriate. <laughs> but, but it's sometimes but, okay to take the lumps yes it's yeah. somehow you know it's under it's in, in a metaphorical sense yeah it it you don't have to be right all the time um in the relationship sometimes you know or prove that to the other person sometimes the right thing is to um, take a step back and and listen deeper to what they're saying and and try to meet that underlying need as opposed to defending our own ego and pride. Yeah. Amen to that. Great question. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you, Christina. You. Thank you, Faiz. Thank you, all of you who joined us tonight. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for joining us. And again, if you have questions that you would like answered, on our show, please uh, feel free to join or go to our website at bibleask.org forward slash live and just uh, go ahead and plug in your question there and we'll be able to answer it live on a future show. And if there, again, if you want to join us um, uh, or listen to us, um, maybe during the, throughout the week, go ahead and check us out on our podcast. And so just type in Bible Ask when you look for us on podcast. We're also on Facebook, Twitch, and um YouTube. So feel free to check out our content there. 
we have videos as well as um, other content or other um, Bible verses and other things that are encouraging in your walk with Jesus. So we just want to encourage you to join us, like us, share our content and help us spread the gospel um, during these uh, dark times because we just want to put light in this world and uh, spread the hope and love of Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead mm -hmm. and close with a quick word of prayer. Um, and make sure to pray for Faze. Oh, yes. Let's pray and for Faze yeah. and his wife. Amen. Uh, Jerry, yeah. when do you want to do that? Wendy? All right. Yeah, Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you so much for um, this opportunity to share your love with people and to reflect a little bit of your light. And um, we thank you for your Sabbath, for this day, for us to rest and recuperate. And um, we also, Lord, uh, want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are tuning in and who are wrestling with different things going on in their lives and different um, uh, concepts from the Bible that they're struggling with and wanting clarity on. And we uh, want to lift up Fez and his wife, especially this evening, and um, ask for your Holy Spirit to come into their lives and to bring them clarity on um, the source of the issue that each of them has and what they can do to overcome that and to uh, find connection and build build a healthy relationship and or ma maintain or grow a healthier relationship and to really connect in with your love lord and the love that you give to each and every one of us and um, are working in their lives as well and um lord we ask this also for just everyone who's listening and who's struggling that you would give guidance uh give Give that love that when people feel it, they just think, I just, I can't deny that God is real because he just loved me at such a deep level. And so I just ask that you'll bring that to each person um, so that they will have a testimony of account for, uh, for you on your behalf, Lord. And um, we just thank you so much for your love and uh, ask that you will help us to glorify you in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks again, everybody who joined us. And we look forward to seeing you again next week, Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless you.